so good to be in the house of God together. How many know that sometimes faith leaks, courage leaks, and sometimes you need to be around some people that inspire you and encourage you, amen? Amen. Well, it's so great to be with you. It's great to have you joining us online today. Those of you that are uh, at home or on the treadmill later this week, wherever you're joining us from, so glad to have you. I get emails all the time. I watch you every week on the treadmill or while I'm out for my hike. I, you know, it's, you would be amazing where people are getting the Word of God into their life. Um, have you ever been waiting for someone who didn't show up when you thought they would? Right? We, we've all done that. How many of you have ever had like a spouse that said, I'm just going out to the store real quick, you know, I just got to go pick up a few things, right? And hours later, you're like, where are they? Right? You know, maybe you're a kid and your parents pick you up from sports or, uh, or for school and, uh, you know, you're sitting on the curb, you realize that everyone else has gone home and you're the last one there. You ever experienced that? Right? Uh, my kids, I, I, I'm determined my kids don't understand the meaning of waiting. Like, they, they think if I'm not there, like, the, the minute I said I was going to be there, that like, I've abandoned them or something. So if you ever get a call from my kids and it's telling you that they're abandoned, you know, homeless and, you know, you know parentless, orphans, whatever, uh, maybe tell them to wait maybe five or ten minutes and I'll probably show up. It'll be, it'll be okay. Right? Uh, maybe you had uh, coffee and you were at the coffee shop and you were sitting at that table and you were wondering if there's, you've been stood up, you know, maybe the, your guest was a no-show. I, I had this happen to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was getting together with coffee. The, uh, Pastor Bruce uh, is at the Alliance Church and, and he's pretty new to town and I'm pretty new to town. So we were going to meet up for a coffee and uh, we were meeting at Tim Hortons. How many know there's more than one Tim Hortons in town? <laughs> And so I went to the Tim Hortons he told me to go to, and I was sitting there, and it was one of the little drive through ones. Like, I think there's only like eight chairs in the whole restaurant. I'm like, this is really strange that he picked this one to meet at. And I was waiting there, and, you know, when I'm meeting him, I thought, you know, I'm trying to pass the time, so, I, you know, I wanted to put a, a, my best foot forward. And so, you know, I, I, I was scrolling through the Bible on my phone, you know, just waiting for Pastor Bruce to come while I, I'm kidding. No, I was reading my Bible, not to impress him, but I was trying to catch up on my deal reading and uh, and I was sitting there for a while and I, I got thinking this is really strange you know that he hasn't shown up maybe he's forgotten you know maybe he something pressing came and uh, and the more I waited the more I started to doubt you know did I have the right date did I have the right time and then I was rereading his email and he said you know meet me at the Tim Hortons near the Alliance Church and I'm like this is the one on the way towards the Alliance Church and then I thought I wonder if there's another one and so Pastor Bruce was at the real Tim Hortons near the Alliance Church, and he was waiting for me, and we were at opposite Tim Hortons waiting for each other. It's funny, the longer you're waiting, right, you just start thinking about all the possibilities. Like, I think there's like a progression that the longer we wait, the more our mind gets creative, right? Like, at first you're like, oh, they're just running late, you know? Some, you know, they're just tied up. Then you think, well... Well, they probably got lost, right? You start thinking all the explanations. Maybe they're at the wrong restaurant. And then you start, you know, maybe they've forgotten, right? And then you progressed from that to like, it's always tragedy. Why is it always tragedy, right? It's like something tragic must have happened to them. There's no other reason to explain why they wouldn't be meeting me here for coffee, right? You, you start thinking about all the reasons why they might have missed you. The effect of waiting, we get creative. Maybe... 
we don't just get creative, our mind starts to get distracted, right? So like I said, I was trying to pass the time catching up on my Bible reading on my Bible app, and I was just really distracting myself. Anyone ever like to go to the movies? I, I love going to the movies. It's a pastime that I like uh, to go to, but, but for me, like going to the movies is not getting there when the movie is starting. Right? For me, getting to the movies is when you get there and you see all the previews. I love to see all the previews. To me, that's the whole experience. I think that's the only thing that separates. Like, I could have watched this at home, but I would have missed the previews, right? So, so I'm watching the previews. And how many of you ever watched the previews, right? And you're watching all the upcoming movies that are coming and they're, you know, that looks good or that looks terrible or whatever it is. And you're watching, and all of a sudden it says, you know, feature presentation comes up, right? And you're like, what movie am I here to see? Can you, you ever have that where you forgot what movie it was that you were actually there to see, right? You got all caught up. And, and so sometimes our minds get creative. Sometimes our minds get distracted. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, we're not really good at waiting as a people. Researchers have actually studied the psychology of waiting. They studied the psychology of waiting. And this is what they came up with from their study. They say people often respond irrationally to waiting situations. Have you ever been seeing someone responding irrationally when they were made to wait? Anyone? Anyone? You've ever been to Disneyland? You just know that this is what happens, right? People freak out when they're made to wait. This is what they say. Reaction to the experience of waiting while on hold trying to schedule an appointment. That'll frustrate you. Try to get a hold of the CRA, you know, whatever they saying. You know, in line at the grocery store or sitting in an urgent care waiting room is defined less by the overall length of the wait and more by the psychology of waiting. I'll explain that to you in a minute. But uh, the, a researcher named David uh, Meister, he said this. He said, satisfaction in waiting equals perception minus expectation. So he says our overall satisfaction uh, is equal to our, our um, uh, what was the word here? Uh, perception minus our expectation. So you take your overall experience and you take away what you were expecting and that gives you your overall satisfaction, right? So like if you had like a mediocre experience or a bad experience, but you were expecting something good, right? You would be in a negative uh, number, and then so your satisfaction would be negative, right? You'd be like, I was expecting much more than I experienced, and so I had a negative satisfaction level. But if you had a, uh, a good experience, and then you, you know, a good um, uh, perception of what was taking place, uh, and you had like a lower, you're like, I wasn't expecting very much, Right, then you would have a high level of satisfaction. And so satisfaction equals perception, take away our expectation. Now they define four areas of waiting where we get really triggered as people. We get really uh, frustrated and agitated. Uh, the first one is this, weights of an uncertain duration. Right? When you don't know how long it is you need to wait, we get really agitated. Anyone, you say, yes, pastor, amen, that's me. But this is why they say that waiting is irrational, the psychology. They said people would rather wait for a defined time that was specified, even though it was longer, than for an undefined shorter period. 
So they're saying people will feel better if I say to you the wait is 30 minutes, you will feel better waiting for 30 minutes than if I tell you it's an undefined time but it only ends up being 20 minutes. Your satisfaction level is going to be lower. And so they say, they tell you at restaurants, you should tell people a little bit longer, you're going to have to wait 30 minutes but we're going to get you in in 20 and then people will be like, oh this is amazing, what a great experience, right? It's all psychology. We don't like waits of an uncertain duration. We also don't like waits that are perceived as unfair. Have you ever been waiting in line and there's kind of that like, you know, it's kind of ambiguous, like who's next, right? And so there's not a defined line. People are just kind of randomly and you kind of want to make sure like, like I was here first and like that person's before me and I'm next, right? And then there's inevitably someone that comes and they kind of stand off to the side and you're like, and you're watching them. You're like, well, you know, what do you think you're doing, right? <laughs> like there's a line up here, right? Like, and then, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? We don't like what is perceived as unfair when people butt the line, when they cut the line, even though they're cutting the line behind you. How many know you get really agitated, right? If you've ever been in the hospital, you see people coming in and you've been waiting there for four hours, right? And then they're triaging people and you don't know what's wrong with them, right? They might have a rash or a communicable disease or you don't know what's going on with them, right? But you see them go in before you and you're like, I've been here for four hours, right? What do they have that got them in before me? Like, give that to me so I can get in, right? You're just like, whatever it is, right? We don't like unfair weights. We don't like unexplained weights, right? We don't like unexplained weight. What are we waiting for? Nobody knows. We get really agitated when we had to wait. And the last one is unoccupied time. We don't like waiting with nothing to do. So most of us, a lot of us, we could people watch or we could read, you know, National Geographic or Car and Driver magazine in the waiting room or most of us have our phone now to occupy our time. You know what's really weird is when you go to a waiting room and you're not on your phone, you're like looking at people, you're like, what are you looking at, right? Stop looking at me, right? We don't like unoccupied time. Listen, they've proven it's true. Houston Airport, a number of years ago, were having increased uh, complaints about the time that people had to wait at baggage claim. They get off their plane, they get to baggage claim, they'd have to wait for their bag to show up. You've ever experienced that? So they were getting complaints about how long their people were waiting. And so you know what they did is that they sped up the time. They got the bags there faster, they cut down the waiting time. Guess what didn't happen? It didn't cut down the number of complaints. People were still mad that I had to wait for my bag. And so you know what Houston Airport did as an experiment? They put the baggage claim farther away from the terminal. So what they did is they made people walk farther to get to their bags, and by the time they got to their bags, the bags were there. And guess what happened? The complaints went down. People were happy to walk a little longer to get to their bags as long as they didn't have to wait for their bags to show up. In a similar research, uh, this is how vain we are, uh, hotel, you ever been to a hotel lobby, you'll often notice mirrors in the lobby, mirrors around the elevator. People got tired of waiting for the elevator at the hotel, and so they will often put mirrors around the elevator to give some people something to do. What do people love to do more than anything? They love to look at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> it's all to make you feel good about your experience of waiting. How many know that we're in a spiritual waiting room? Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Would you just say with me, say eagerly waiting. Say, I'm eagerly waiting. 
I'm eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And he will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. How many know we could go home right now? Thank you, Jesus. I got a new body coming. It's a glorious body. It's uh, my, you know, probably my 25-year-old body, maybe. I don't know. But Jesus said he's going to change our weak, mortal bodies into bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. He will bring is a future tense. We're in this spirit of waiting. We, we know all morning we've been singing about the faithfulness of God. We know what God has done. As we read at scripture and as we, as we look at the, what's happening around us, we, we can see and we can hear glimpses and, and we can see um, some of what God is doing now. We're rejoicing for what God is doing now. We read in scripture about what is supposed to happen next. And so the, theologians call this period that we find ourselves in the already but not yet. We find ourselves living in this already but not yet where Jesus Christ has come as our Savior. That his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave has defeated sin, death, and Satan. And so we have our risen Savior. God is reigning over all as our Savior. But scripture tells us that we are awaiting this period where God is going to come and return again as our King. And he is going to put all things under his control. It's not that all things aren't already under his control. But he is going to establish all things according to the order that he desires them in. How many know that King Charles was King Charles after uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth died, right? But yesterday we had the coronation ceremony, and many of you watched it online. He was already the king, you know, the king, um, uh, uh, I forget the word, but, but in waiting kind of thing, but now he is the king, right? And so we have Jesus, who is the king. He sits on the throne, but scripture says that he is coming again, and he is going to put all things under his control and establish them as he desires them to be. You know, as we look at the world around us, it's easy for us to identify things that aren't the way that we think a loving and just God should have them. Right? As we look at the world around us, it's easy for us to see the things that aren't the way uh, that we would think that, that God should have them established. And so for some people, it causes them to question God's goodness. How could a good God allow these things to happen? We question God's love. How could a loving God tolerate such things? How could he allow this? And so uh, some people even taking that to the further extreme, uh, I question God's existence because of the presence of evil in this world. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 15 talks about this, where people in the scripture are saying, where is this Christ you keep proclaiming? What's keeping him? Uh, maybe he's not coming back. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent and remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. You know, for honest, even as believers in Jesus, at times our minds can get creative in this period of waiting, right? We're awaiting this return of Jesus and uh, we can start to wonder, God, have you forgotten us? God, have you forgotten us? It's been so long. God, have you stood us up? Even if we're to admit it, there are times where we wondered, have I believed in a lie? 
Have I believed in something that isn't true? Am I awaiting something that's never going to happen? If we're uh, honest, there are times where we've all had these uh, questions in our minds. Most alarming of all is that sometimes we forget we're waiting. Sometimes we're like, you know, like me in the movie theater. We're watching the previews. We're watching everything that's happening. and We forget the reason uh, why we're there in the first place. Right? We can get so caught up and distracted with what's going on day to day that we forget that we are awaiting a significant life event. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. And in, in this passage, you know, we've been waiting on Christ's return for a long time. It's been over 2,000 years since the prophesied return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in this passage for Israel, it's only been two months since God has shown up in a huge way. In this passage, it's only been two months since, since God uh, intervened and, and he delivered them from Egypt. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the plagues descending on Egypt. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They'd seen how he had helped them escape the slavery they'd been living in for the last 400 years. And so, you know, for us, we're like, yeah, it's been 2,000 years. But for them in this passage, it's fresh on their minds. As they crossed the wilderness, and, you know, they've just been living in the, uh, you know, the experience just only two short months ago. And so they come in this passage to the base of a mountain called Sinai, and they set up camp there. Exodus 24, verse 1 says this. Then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. So then Moses went down to the people, and he repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's important to know if in chapter 19, God has already given uh, Moses the instructions, what we call the Ten Commandments. So as Moses is coming down, he's telling them the, all that God's instructed. He's explaining to them the Ten Commandments, uh, the laws that God has laid out. And God's calling him back up the mountain. And, and so in this moment, they say, we'll do everything that God has commanded. And so we're going we're gonna to follow God. We're going to commit to doing his ways. We're not going to come into the mountain, all of that stuff. Then verse 12 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commanded so you could teach the people. So God's saying, I've, I've written what I've already told you. I've written now the Ten Commandments on stone. And so Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. So the Israelites at the foot of the mountain... Oh, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 
So here in this passage, you know, it's familiar to us, right? We got our own share of, of, uh, of fires on the top of the mountains. You know, I remember when the, the board uh, was, you know, we were doing the, the search committee. And I was supposed to meet them on Zoom. You don't know the story. I was supposed to meet them on Zoom uh, one night. I was in Ontario. They were here. And they called me. They said, we need to postpone our meeting uh, about 10, 15 minutes. We're going to meet at someone's house. But now we got to go to the church. And they sent me a picture of the mountain on fire behind their house. And I was just literally looking at this and like thinking, what is this place that we're going to, right? Like, like to me, you don't see that in lower, in southern Ontario, right? You know, and I'm just looking at this, I'm going, we don't have to meet tonight, you know? We can postpone. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. It's a kilometer away and it's like burning up the hill. And I was like, wow, you guys are some hardy people out in BC. <laughs> but for Israel, it says they're literally living on the edge of God's glory. How many love to live on the edge? Right? You live on the edge, on a little bit on the wild side. Here we see they're living on the edge of God's glory. I love the intricacies of the Word of God. As you, like I said in chapter 19, uh, you realize if you read through the chapters that this is actually Moses' third time up the mountain. It's like God's like, come up here. And God, Moses goes up. He's like, hey, here's the Ten Commandments. I want you to go down and tell the people what's happening. Tell them not to come on the mountain. And then after you tell them that, come on back up here. And then we're going to talk a little bit. And then it says that God actually says, like, go back and remind the people that they're not supposed to come on the mountain. And Moses is like, I already told them that. And they already said they would agree. Right? But God said, no, no, just go anyways. Tell them not to come onto the mountain because this is holy ground. And then come back up to see me. How, Moses is going up and down this mountain, right? Like three times. I love seeing that because he's doing this without explanation. He's doing it without tangible results. He's like, God, you could have just done this in one fell swoop, right? He's like, let's just get this done. Why do I have to go up and down this mountain three times, you know? What's the purpose in this? I don't know the purpose in it, just that God told him to do it, right? And so here we have Moses, he's obeying God, he's exactly where God asked him to be. And it says the glory of God covered the mountain for six days, but how many days was it before God spoke to Moses? Seven. I wonder sometimes how many of us are discouraged or disoriented because we feel like we've been obedient to God. Right, We feel like we are in the place God's called us to be, and yet it still seems like God's not speaking to us. Right? That's a disorienting place to be where you're like, God, I've done what you called me to do. I, I am where, you, where I'm supposed to be. I've been obedient. I'm worshiping you. Like, Why aren't you speaking to me in a more tangible way? I'm serving you, worshiping you. And then you start to wonder, well, what's wrong with me? Right? What am I, what am I doing wrong? What am I, how am I worshiping wrong? Right? We start wondering, you know, am I praying wrong, worshiping wrong? Well, what is it? And then we start to think, well, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So maybe something's wrong with God. Right? God, why, what's wrong with you? That, like, I'm here, you told me to be, when you told me to be, worshiping the way you told me to be, and it's been six days and nothing from you. Right? I just want you to know this this morning, that if you stay in his presence and you continue to walk in obedience and continue a life of worshiping him, God will speak in his time. Some of you need to know that too. You're like, I've been doing it all and God still seems distant and quiet. Just say that it's sometimes just the seventh day, right? Oh, you can't control God's timing. You can't make God speak. I had to learn this as a young kid. I, I, I got thinking, you know, what, what is the magical formula to pray or to worship to make God speak to me, right? I like everything instant. I want to go to God.com and say, what is God saying to me right now in this instant, right? Sometimes God says, just linger in my presence. Just be living on the edge of my glory. And when I'm ready, I'll speak. 
Some of you need to know that. You've been faithful. You've been obedient. You're worshiping. Your lifestyle is good. You just are on the edge of God's glory. I want to encourage you today to hold on. Continue to worship and continue to put yourself in his presence. For the people at the bottom of the mountain, for the ones waiting for what seems for, like forever, right? Their minds start getting creative. You know, they start thinking about all that could have done. They said, well, maybe something's happened to Moses. You know, maybe he's bailed on them. You know, maybe he's like fallen into a crevice or been eaten by a mountain lion. You know, they've seen him go up to the top. You know, maybe he ran into the fire and they're like, like insanity took over him or something, right? Maybe God's beamed him up, you know, beamed me up Scotty. Like, oh, you know, he's like raptured by God in this moment. I don't know. Exodus 32 verse 1 says this. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, and make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. It's funny how they're distancing himself, right? He was the brave leader who stood up. Yeah, that's our leader. He led us. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know what happened to that guy, right? So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The people only two months ago had seen all that God had done for them and, got, and done on their behalf. They'd seen how God had cared enough for them to set them free from slavery. They, they had followed God this far and they were standing and living on the edge of his glory when they started having these doubts. And they started allowing their creative mind games to lead them astray. It's so creative that they actually create an image. They, they didn't want to follow an invisible God. They didn't want to follow an intangible God, even though God had proven themselves to them. and They needed something to connect to, and so they fashioned themselves this golden calf, and they call it, this is our God. Remember what I said researchers told us? People often respond irrationally in waiting situations. So God does all that for them, and they're quickly ready to give up, and they would say, make us a God who could lead us. Now, I've seen my art. Like, I wouldn't even want to display my art, let alone worship my art, you know? And so, and so uh, some of you, you have some pretty amazing art. I've seen it. But, but they, they create this golden image, and they say, this is our God. And so they make a calf. I'm thinking, if you're going to design your own God, at least, like, why a calf? Like, why not a bull? You know, or something strong, something, you know, like, fearsome. Like, I don't know any sports team that's like, you know, the Penticton Calves. You know, me. I, I don't know. That's a calf sound. I don't know what calves, I don't know what they make. Right? Like, think about the, you know, the, you know, inspirational mascot. Yeah, we're the calves. Go calves. <laughs> like, Right? At least pick a fierce and majestic beast, you know, if you're going to design your own God. But, but here's what I think. Bulls, we see, are worshipped in Egyptian culture. Bulls are worshipped in the Assyrian culture of the Promised Land. Israel would have been well familiar with people uh, around them worshipping the idols and, and looking at bulls as a, a representative of their God. And so one uh, theologian, they you know, were surmising, you know, perhaps it was that the bull looked too much like the gods of the Egyptians and the gods of the Assyrians. Maybe they just wanted to soften it a little. 
You know, maybe they wanted to make it a little bit more palatable to them. You know, we're, we're not the idol worshipers like them. We wouldn't worship those kind of idols, but we're just going to make an idol that's a little bit more, like, tamer, you know. And, and they, were, they were taking, I, I don't know that this is from Scripture, but, but this person was surmising, you know, sometimes as Christians, we say, well, I'm not like the world. I don't do and worship what the world does. And yet we kind of have tamer versions of it, don't we? Like, we, we're not really into, you know, lust and adultery, but we, we have our own levels of lust that we're content to deal with, right? Uh, you know, we're, we're not into, that's what Jesus was pushing on. He said, yeah, you don't murder, but how often have you been angry in your heart towards someone, right? And, and so we, we make it more palatable for our own uh, desires. But here's the thing, the very goal they were using to build their idol had actually been for them a gift from God. It had been a gift from God. Exodus 12, 36 says, as they were leaving Egypt, God had caused the Egyptians to basically look favorably upon them, or or basically, like, hey, these 10 plagues that have come here, like, whatever we need to do to get you out of here, like, like, let's bless you. Like, the Egyptians are, like, carrying their suitcases out the door, right? Like, how how fast can we get you out, right? And so, yeah, here, take some gold, take some food, take whatever you need, take it, and just get out of here. And so God says in Exodus 12, 36, that they had been sent off with a lot of Egypt's gold and wealth. See, what had been a gift from God, though, they had turned into an idol. Sometimes the biggest blessings of our lives pose the greatest potential of becoming the idols and the things that we worship in life. God wants to bless you. He wants you to live in abundance so that you can be a blessing to others, but sometimes we look at the blessing God's given us and it becomes a thing that we worship and obsess over, actually to the detriment of our spiritual walk with God. Mark Batterson says, every blessing comes as a source of praise or of pride. It has this potential in us to, to create this source of, you know, I'm a self-made person. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've achieved. I think every blessing comes with it, the potential to be a distraction. I... This isn't our church. I attended a church once, my, my, my wife did. And in this church, they stood up and they had a declaration before the service. And the declaration before the sermon was something like this. Like, I believe that God is giving me everything that I want in life. And uh, something to that effect. And so they, everyone in the church made this declaration. And the pastor's logic was that if God gives us and blesses us with everything that we need, that we won't want anything and that we won't be distracted from wanting him. And so he was saying, God fulfills every need. Have you ever had kids? How many know the, the list of needs and wants never ends, right? There's always something new that I want and something new that I need. And how many know that when God blesses me, that blessing becomes a distraction? Anyone want a blessing of a boat this week? You would want a boat, right? Who would want a boat? You would want a boat. You could go on Okanagan, right? It would be a blessing to have a boat. You could go tubing and surfing and all that stuff. But how many know if you all had boats and you didn't show up to church on Sunday because you were out boating, I'd go, oh, I think the blessing has become a bit of a distraction, right? And like, that's just an example. And if you're going boating this afternoon or, you know, some Sundays, it's okay. Like, it's, I won't be mad at you. But anyways, I'm stepping in it there. Okay. <laughs> in this period of waiting, living on the edge of God's glory, their creative mind games begin to lead them astray from their Savior. Listen to what it says in verse 5. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. 
Now, in the Hebrew, it actually says here, to Yahweh, the name of the Lord of God who brought them out of Egypt. So he creates, I think Aaron's kind of trying to play both sides here. He's trying to give the people what they asked for and want, this, this idol that they could see. And then he's, he's trying to tie it back to God, to Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, look at this idol we made. Tomorrow we're going to have a festival to Yahweh. We're going to tie God to this idol that we've made. We're going to, we're going to somehow rationalize to ourselves how this is something that God wants for us and from us. But see here, the people's enthusiasm for waiting on God was waning, and they were excited about the wrong things. It wasn't just God and his presence, his glory that they wanted. It says that they actually wanted this tangible thing to worship. Enthusiasm actually means to be excited in God. Did you know that? If you were looked up the word enthusiasm in the Greek, it means in theos, ousia, or in God's essence. The word literally means to be excited in God or to be possessed by God. To be excited is to be so enraptured with God's presence that it causes you to be enthusiastic and excited. How many know as believers in Jesus, we need to be a little enthusiastic, amen? Right, that's why we worship enthusiastically because we're excited about being in God. The more time we spend in God's presence, the more enthusiastic we should become. But the weight was making Israel's enthusiasm wane. And in the process, they were becoming excited about the wrong things. Living and standing on the edge of God's glory, they were more excited about his gifts and the idols of their own creation than they were about his presence. See, the story continues that Moses comes down the mountain. He gets so angry with the people and their foolishness. He sees what they're doing. It says they're having this worship ceremony. They're actually worshiping these idols. And it says that they actually descend into pagan revelry. So basically, uh, like a drunken party and whatever else is happening on. And, and this is what Moses comes down to after being in the presence of God. He gets so angry that he smashes the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, and, and then it says that God is so angry that he says, I'm, gonna, I'm giving up on these people. Like, these people are too fickle. Like, literally, two months ago, I led them out of Egypt, and already they're turning to idols of their own creation. And it says in verse uh, 9 and 10 that Moses intercedes and pleads on their behalf for God's forgiveness and his grace. God would be gracious to them. And it says that God uh, does uh, turn his mind towards them. And even as our, mo our minds are creatively wandering and our enthusiasm has this potential to wane, Moses is always a type of someone else. The Bible says that as Israel had someone interceding on their behalf, you and I have someone interceding on our behalf as well. God knows how fickle we can be. It says in Romans 8.34 that Jesus Christ who died, and more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you and for me. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus Christ is our intercessor today. And he's interceding on our behalf. He's saying, guys, let's continue to worship and press in. Let's continue to walk in God's glory. Here's the thing. Israel thought they had a waiting problem. They had a waiting problem. You ever notice it's totally different when you're the person waiting than being the person waited on? 
right? When you're waiting, you're like, man, the time is just going so slowly, and you're thinking about all the things that could have happened, right? When you're the person being waited on, you're like, where'd the time go, right? Like, I just had a few things to do, right? It's like you get home, and your, your spouse or your, your parents, whoever it is, they're like, where have you been? I, like, I thought you got a tragedy, you know? You're like, whoa, like, calm down a little bit, right? <laughs> right? That's different depending what end you're on. We often grow impatient waiting on the edge of God's glory, living this already but not yet period of life. We say, is God really God? Is God really in control? Has he forgotten or has something happened to him? Is Jesus even coming back? Here's the thing, though. What we think is a waiting problem, we find in Scripture is actually a trust problem. Israel thought they had a waiting problem, but Scripture tells us they actually had a trust problem. Problem. They hadn't got tired of waiting. They had gone tired of trusting in Jesus. You know, it's crazy for us that we would think, wow, these ancient people are so strange, you know, building this golden calf. You know, obviously this is something they've created of themselves. How could they turn to something so foolish? But think of the crazy things that we're tempted to do when we're waiting on God. We're tempted to go back to our old patterns, our habits and sin. Bible tells us that Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. How many of us often want to go back to filling our lives and, and the, the valid needs of our life that God's given us in improper and inferior ways? We want to go back to our sinful habits and ways that God has set us free from. We're tempted in moments to think that God has forgotten us. And so we think we give up on cultivating an attitude and a life of worship and of sacrifice to him. We're tempted to walk away from God. We're tempted to settle for idols that we've made for ourselves and we find excitement in everything in life but God. How many know that family can be an idol? Family, when we're just say, I'm pursuing family and time with my family and the benefit of my family at the expense of worship and time in the presence of God. Family can be an idol. I've seen it throughout the years. Not just helicopter parents necessarily. Our jobs, our careers, we put so much into it. It becomes our idol. We're tempted to lose faith that the God who brought us this far will get us through. And so what we think is us growing tired of waiting for God to show up is actually tired of us trusting that God is gonna come through. That's what we see here. Listen to Hebrews chapter three. It talks about this whole scenario from God's perspective. As Israel's at the bottom of the mountain thinking we've been waiting for so long. You know, it's been actually 40 days and 40 nights by the end of the time that Moses is on the mountain. And they've grown so tired that they've, they've turned and they've, they've developed their own ways. But listen to God's point of view. The God who had done the amazing miracles, who had done everything to care and provide and to lead for them. And, and he says, still you've hardened your hearts towards me. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. He says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. He's saying this in reference to what happened to Israel. And he says this, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. The author of Hebrews 
hundreds of years later, say, what do we learn from this story? He says, remind each other every day not to stop trusting in Jesus, not to stop trusting in God. The God who set you free is gonna to continue to set you free. The God who began a good work in you is going to bring it through to fulfillment. The God who has done the miraculous will continue to lead to your breakthrough. He's saying, if you will just hold on trusting God as firmly as when you first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Church, we're living on the edge of God's glory. And our challenge isn't a waiting challenge. It's a trusting challenge today. Even though it's been 2,000 years, Jesus says, hold on. Continue to trust. Continue to believe. Continue to align your hearts and your minds with what I have done, with what you see me doing now. What you have read about is the future to come because I am coming again. I came first as a savior I'm coming again as a king, and I'm going to put all things in order, all things as they should be. That's the hope that we have to look forward to, church. This morning, that's the hope that we have to look forward to, God establishing everything by his love and his grace today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and just to uh, bow your head just for a moment. I know Carrie already prayed for us, and as she was praying, I was thinking about this idea that Israel was feeling abandoned at the bottom of the mountain. What they couldn't see was that God was working ahead on their future at the top of the mountain. Right now, you might be feeling abandoned. You might be feeling like you're going through the ringer. You might be feeling like you are in a place where you're awaiting God to show up. I want you to know this, that on the edge of God's glory, as we're living in this already but not yet place, that in the top of the mountain, God is saying, I'm working all things out for your good. I'm working all things out for your good. We get glimpses of it today, but we're gonna see it in full in just a short time. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. Lord, for those that are heavy hearted. God, those that are tired of waiting. God, those who have maybe been creative in their waiting response, Lord Jesus, and, and finding themselves distracted. Maybe we've come into this place where we would honestly say our trust and our faith in you has waned in this time. I pray today, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would be reminding us of your truth, that your Holy Spirit would be taking this word and applying it to our hearts and to our minds so that we could be filled with the courage and the trust and the belief again. God, that just as you came once, you're coming again. Lord, even though things are not as they should be, you will make all things as they should be. And it's just a short time. Let us not lose faith. Let's not lose hope, but hold on to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.